Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey guys, this is Dr. Rob, and I absolutely owe you an apology, all of you who listen, because I have been procrastinating at the mic. There are a lot of shows that I need to do and have been doing for you guys, and I just, honest to God, it's like writing. I look at the mic and I'm like, oh, I'll do that later. Let me clean the house. Let me. And so I have decided to put myself on a podcast schedule and get some work done. And part of it is because I was doing a lecture for some of the patients at our treatment center, and I was doing a lecture on cheating, and I thought, you know, I haven't really presented it quite this way on podcast. I think this might be useful. And I need to do some solo podcasts to sort of explain some of the writing I do and the work that we do. And so I wanted to get out there with this. So this particular podcast is about the mind of the man who cheats. And we could talk about women who cheat in another episode, but this is really about what happens with men when they cheat and how their thinking works. And one of the struggles with trying to heal infidelity. So in order to start, I thought I would just quickly go through some thoughts about what, what is cheating. You know, for example, in the digital age, is porn cheating? If I'm married to someone and committed to someone and have a monogamous relationship with them, and I find out they're looking at porn and I didn't know about it, are they cheating? So I think this is a really good question, and I think I can answer it pretty quickly, but I'll go through a couple more. Are webcams cheating? Is virtual sexuality, when I'm showing my stuff to someone else online and they're showing me their junk and we're having sex together, is that cheating? What about chatting with exes on Facebook or in social media, uh, people who were meaningfully, romantically important to me while I'm in a relationship? Is that cheating? So uh, by the way, if you're the cheater, uh, none of those things are cheating, I promise you, because you will find a way to say, no, it's just this or it's just that. Or, But what cheaters on any level or sex addicts for that matter don't attend to or don't pay attention to is the feelings that their spouse might have if they found out about the cheating. You see someone who's cheating or sexually acting out, their focus is, how can I get away with this? How can I do more of this? How can I make sure that under no circumstances will my partner find out? By the way, that's true for both men and women who cheat. So if you understand the goal of the cheater or the goal of the addict, it's to not get caught and to keep doing what I'm doing. It isn't to be fair and honest with my partner or vulnerable or open. That would be a healthy relationship. So someone who's cheating on you, I can tell you how we can define cheating so that you know we can get rid of is porn cheating. You can end the arguments with your spouses forever. Uh, you can say Dr. Weiss described it like this. I call cheating the keeping of profound secrets. 
in an intimate relationship. That's what cheating is. It's the keeping of profound secrets from the one you most love and are most connected to. And I love this way of looking at cheating because if you think about it, it doesn't mean sex. Um, That is one way that you can cheat. But the primary way that I think anyone really disturbs the trust in their relationship is with lying and manipulation and being dishonest. And let me give you an example. I use this a lot when I teach. Let's say that I'm married and we have kids and I decide that there's a really beautiful watch that I want to go buy. Oh my God, such a great watch. And you know what? It's on sale. And so I come home and I tell my spouse, I'm going to buy this watch and I know we don't have lots of money, but it'll only cost me $10 a week for two years. And I'm going to take $10 a week for two years out of my paycheck and I'm going to get this watch. And my spouse says to me, male or female, doesn't matter, you know, I really would rather have that $10 a week for the kid's college fund, and you can wear your old watch for a while, and when we're doing better, we can get you a watch. Now imagine that I decide, well, I want that watch. I really, really do. And I don't think my spouse is going to see the money coming out of the bank. So what I decide to do is buy the watch anyway. And heck, she or he didn't even notice that I spent all this money and I managed to get a watch. So imagine this. I walk in the door two years later and I say, guess what, honey? Look at what I've got on my wrist. I bought that watch. I know you didn't want me to spend the money, but hey, you never even noticed it came out of our paycheck and now I've got it. Isn't that great? That's cheating. It's not cheating in terms of sex, but it will infuriate a partner because what your spouse most wants to understand is what's going on with you. And what our spouse's worst fear is, is that we're doing things that they don't know about. And when trust is broken, because trust is absolutely without question, the backbone of a long-term relationship, when trust is broken, it is like a plate. It breaks in half. The relationship is broken. And as Beyonce says, you can glue that thing back together, but the crack will always show, meaning that relationships that are involved with infidelity will always, well, well, let me put it this way, they will never be the same. They may grow, they may mature, they may be amazing, but your relationship will never be the same as if the cheating hadn't occurred because your spouse, if you've cheated on them, will never be able to look at you again and think, oh, there's the person who would never go out there in the world and deliberately do something that would harm me. This is someone, because I'm married to them or committed to them, that they, most of all, will have my back. I think that in all situations, I mean, I think that's the somewhat naive but absolutely understandable belief of anybody who gets in a committed relationship. So if you find out that your man or woman has cheated on you, and not only once but multiple times, and you didn't know about it, And I don't care whether it was all the porn they were looking at or all the webcams they were having sex with, webcam girls or boys, or whether it was in real time, you were engaging in a significantly meaningful act that you knew would hurt your partner if you didn't tell them and you chose not to tell them. Now, I understand how men think. I've worked with a lot of men and I am one. And I know how we think about these things. You see, men, and this is important, not all men, but in general, biologically and psychologically, and ladies, you should know this, we are capable of dislodging sex in our minds from relationship. If you haven't noticed, there's a lot of strip clubs and there are a lot of places out there for men to go for casual sex and women. But in particular, there are a lot more for men, a lot more strip clubs, a lot more places we want to go because men like looking at anonymous sexual experiences without necessarily feeling a romantic connection. A man can go out and have a, a, you know, get, do something at a strip club or whatever and really believe in his mind, this has nothing to do with my spouse. This has nothing to do with my relationship. This is just about me in part because that's how men think. Men are much more able to compartmentalize different parts of our life and not see the connections. 
So the guy who goes off to Vegas and gets a lap dance and thinks, I just won't let my partner know. And then she finds out. He's like, well, I guess she's going to be upset, but it won't be that big a deal. And she says things like, how could you do this to me? You ruined our life. What about our family? What about everything we've ever shared together? How can I ever trust you again? And that, of course, is the fear of anybody who cheats. The problem is that men often don't understand that women think differently than them. And I wrote a whole book about this called Out of the Doghouse, because the theme of it really is, if you're a man and you've cheated on a woman, you don't know how to heal it. And I honestly, folks, I have worked for 25 years as a licensed professional. The majority of my work, if not all of it, has been with cheating couples. And I can tell you, having watched men, you know, and couples struggling with sex and porn addiction, and I can tell you that I have never in 25 years seen a man understand fully how to heal infidelity or cheating with a woman. And I understand, and that's why I wrote out of the doghouse, I, I understand that it isn't just that that man doesn't care about you, ladies, or that he doesn't think of you. It's that he is able to separate sex out in his mind from love, as many men are. And so for him, he thinks that you should be able to understand that it didn't mean anything to him because it probably didn't. For him, it was like a good trip to the gym or hanging out and, you know, it was sex, but it really wasn't that important to him. However, ladies, if you're in a committed relationship to us, you don't look at sex as being outside of your relationship. You look at sex as being in an integral part of your relationship. So when I come home to you and I say, oh, it was just, you know, a hand job with some stranger, you don't think, oh, good. It was just a hand job with some stranger, you ladies. You think holistically. This breaking of trust in my partner, this thing that he went out and did, this affects everything. Now I don't know if anything he says is true because you look at things much more holistically. So the man who comes home who has cheated, whether it's been a hundred times or one, and he is trying to get you to feel better about it, he's probably, ladies, going to say things like, you know, uh, candy, flowers, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me, let's make it better. And each day he's going to try to pressure you more and more to forgive him. And usually within 90 days that should be accomplished in his mind. And that makes sense to him because for a man who has cheated, it isn't as big a deal, he thinks, as it should be, but it sure seems to be a big deal to you. So he will go along for about 90 days or four or five months with being humble and kind and trying to do the right thing because he's hurt you. But after that, he's kind of like, okay, when are you going to get over this? Or I'm tired of coming home to that angry face. Or when are you going to be nice to me? I know I cheated on you, but it was five months ago. And what a man doesn't understand in general is that the depth of pain that a woman goes through when he cheats on her is different even than he would experience if he was being cheated on because men also experience having been cheated on differently. Just briefly, in general, a man will feel an ego wound, like, what, was I not big enough? Was I not strong enough? Was I not handsome enough? Like, screw you, I gave you everything. But a woman doesn't think that. You know, she thinks more personally and wounded in a, in a much larger way, like our family, our kids, our home, our religion, our faith, our, our fa shared relationships. I mean, you've heard all of that. And that man is not thinking that way at all. So in reality, it can take over a year or more if that guy is suiting up and showing up for the relationship as he should with no more secrets and no more lies. It could take a year or more for him to be at the point where he might truly be on the road to forgiveness or healing the broken trust. And unfortunately, men want this you know, way too fast. Now, I do get this a lot, and I really want to clear this issue up. Sometimes women will say, to each other, you know, or men will say, who everybody will say, how come she didn't know? How come he didn't know? How come that partner didn't know? I live across the street and I could see what that husband or wife was doing. And I think that is incredibly cruel because if you think about it, 
you know, it is very easy for the person across the street who has no deep, meaningful connection to this relationship to see the cheating. It's easy for somebody, you know, who works with someone occasionally and isn't really that close to them to see the cheating because they see it right in front of them. But if you love somebody, if you really deeply are connected to them, you're not looking for what they're doing wrong. You're looking for what they're doing right. And you don't expect them to be doing wrong. You expect them to be doing right. So here's an example. You know, you've all heard about or seen on TV, you know, the sad mom who raised a psychopath and he has murdered five people. And she says on TV and on the, in the court, you know, this isn't my son. My son couldn't have done this. It, it isn't possible. He's the sweetest, most loving guy in the world. My son is. And yet you can see the five knives and the five bodies and his fingerprints are on all of it. So in that way, she is not able, she loves her son so much. She's so connected to him. She sees the good in him much more than the bad. And so if you're married to a person who is committed to you, male or female, you would expect that that person wouldn't go out there and hurt you. You would expect that that person would be looking out and uh, looking after your back when they're out there. So to find out that they haven't been would be something that I think you would be the last to know. And so I think I just want to say uh, to validate for everyone who's ever been cheated on that it makes sense that you would be the last to know. And anyone, anyone who says, or if you say to yourself, how could I not see that? How could I not have known? You wouldn't have, you shouldn't have, you know, unless the person was really stupid and just laid it all out right in front of you. If they're really trying to hide it and you really don't want to think about your partner in that way as you wouldn't, then how would you ever see it, even though the neighbor will? And that's something I really want to get across to people who feel like, oh, you know, what's wrong with me? I should have known this was going on. No, you never would have known it was going on and you probably weren't looking in that direction. And that's because you trusted and loved the person and you never expected that they would do this. So why would you be looking in that direction? Please forgive yourself. So let me say something to all of you, because I've written a bunch about this, about the person who cheats or the sex addict. You know, what is going on with them in terms of how they treat their loved ones when they're cheating? Because I know that someone who active, who's actively cheating, actively having affairs, actively looking at a lot of porn, you know, going to strip clubs and all of that kind of stuff, they really have to be in a different place in their relationship to do that than somebody who deeply loves and is connected to their partner and is not doing that, doesn't have a split life. So let's talk about a little bit about this. First of all, the mind of a cheater or a sex addict. If I am a healthy person, reasonably, this is an interesting point. It's very hard for me to be deeply in love with my partner and then go out and do things that I know will hurt them. So we have little tricks in our minds, those of us who cheat or are addicts, sex and love addicts. We tend to diminish you in order to validate what we want to do. So we will say, oh, well, you've gotten a little fat. Oh, well, you're not paying attention to me. Oh, well, you're nagging all the time. And we will start to put you down in our minds as a partner because that allows us to feel entitled oh, well, since my partner is making me so miserable, I deserve to be able to go out here and have the affair, you know, whatever it is. And so you have to understand that for everyone who cheats or acts out, there is always a level, some level of entitlement, like I deserve to get this. And then the question is, why do I deserve to get this? And most often that ends up on the other spouse because they are the reason, you know, the misery they're causing me in my marriage or relationship is the reason I give myself for going out and cheating. And by the way, I, I often say to guys or, or any lady, lady who's cheating, hey, if you're unhappy in a marriage and you're not getting enough sex and your partner's gained 300 pounds, get a divorce. Go see a marriage counselor. Buy a car you can't afford and have some fun driving. Join a club. Play more with your kids. I mean, there are a million things you can do if you're sexually and romantically unhappy in your marriage other than decide to cheat. That is someone who really is looking to go cheat. So there needs to be some responsibility there. 
You know, one of the things that also goes on the mind of someone who's cheating, at least until they're found out, is they believe that they are in charge of the relationship, the reality of the relationship. And in some sense, they are. Because if you and I are in a relationship and I know all kinds of things about what I've done behind your back and you don't know anything about it, well, then I feed you. I feed reality. I say where I was when I came in late and I tell you where I'm going for the weekend when I'm really not going there. I control reality. And by the way, one of the things that happens that's very difficult for the cheater when the cheating stops and a spouse finds out is that they're no longer in charge of reality. All of a sudden, the spouse knows the spouse is in charge. And those of us who've been cheating or addicted, we really don't like that. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this sex, love and addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747-234-4325. Another thing that goes on for the person who cheats is we don't only externalize or blame our spouses to justify our acting out. We blame our whole lives. Look at all I'm doing for all these people and look at all the money I'm giving them and I don't have anything fun for me. And there are also often feelings of being a victim, being under the gun, being a martyr. Those kinds of things can also lead to someone feeling entitled to go have sex with other people. So all of this stuff is going on in the mind of someone who's going to go cheat or sexually act out on a regular basis because it makes them feel better about what they're doing. Interestingly, and you guys, maybe you'll get this, maybe you won't from a sort of psychological perspective, but when most men in particular find out that their spouse knows that they're cheating, they get terrified of abandonment. And it's interesting because the person, you know, I could be the guy who said she's too, too about my spouse, you know, he or she is too fat, too ugly, too old, and I'm going to have sex with someone else. But let that man or woman who loves me, who I'm committed to take one step away from me. Like, I'm not sure I want to be here based on what you're doing and what I found out. And oh boy, do we run forward to try to fix you and fix our relationships. We will use uh, the cheater, the sex addict, they, we, the porn addict. We will use seduction and regret and lies and blame. We will manipulate you. We will seduce you. Oh, I always loved you and this doesn't mean anything. You know, we will do anything to try to regain the equity in the relationship that we had, which is we are the ones who are in control. We have the information flow and therefore we can go do what we want. And certainly in the beginning of a cheating situation where a partner's just beginning to find out, and this is a nightmare for spouses, you tend to get what we call staggered disclosure, which means you find out something and you say to us, well, I found out this thing and you did it. And we're like, oh yeah, I did that, but that's it. And we're not going to tell you about the rest of it until you find out more of it. And then we're going to tell you about more of it, but that's it. And so the spouse's experience of learning about the cheating can be in many, many layers over time. And that is incredibly destructive also to a relationship. Because imagine the spouse who's saying, gosh, if I can just find out what happened, I can figure out whether I can live with this or not, what's going to happen, how I go forward in my life, the kids, the family, whatever, or you know, date someone else if you're single. And yet you don't find out all at once because we, the people who are cheating or sexually acting out, we're keeping it from you. And we only want you to know as much as you already know. And then we'll maybe fill in a detail, but that's it. So 
you end up on this cycle of looking for the foundation of what's happened, looking for the bottom. Like, okay, is it this bad? Is it this bad? Did you have sex one time, a hundred times? Did you love the person? Do you have kids with them? You know, the, the, the cheated on partner is looking for a foundation here. Like, what is the bottom line about what's gone on in my relationship? And the person who's been acting out in cheating or whatever, they are very invested in not letting you know how much has gone on. And in this struggle, it is very painful for the spouse because how can you ever really find out, you know, how to move forward or trust again if information keeps coming to you in bits, dribs and drabs that you didn't know about? And by the way, for people who understand the work that we do in therapy, this is one of the reasons we do a formal disclosure with couples, which is a very, very, very useful thing and lots of research on that because we want couples to have an even playing field. So if you're in treatment at Seeking Integrity or working with me or any of the people that I've trained around the world, you're going to be doing a process where everybody knows about everything at some point. And I know that the cheaters are looking horrified right now and the spouses are feeling really pleased, but the reality is I don't see how you can go on with an intimate, loving relationship where one person has a lot of information about what's happened and the other person just doesn't. Um, not only does it leave a road for that behavior to continue or happen again, since the partner didn't know all about it, but it also leaves the partner second down in the dark, you know, not really knowing what how they can healthfully proceed in their lives. And I think every spouse and partner who's been cheated on, in fact, I think every spouse and partner deserves to know exactly what's going on with the person you are in a relationship. Secrets kill relationships. Secrets kill trust. Trust is the backbone of a relationship. Imagine that you tell me a little bit of truth and I think, okay, 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 now I can believe them. Now I can feel safe again. And then I find out more and you tell me more. I mean, you can understand that the person who's getting information on that in that way is not going to calm down. They're going to get more and more and more upset. I think just to add to this, the person who's cheating or actively addicted to sex or porn, they are they are not focused on you as a partner. They are not focused on their family. They are not focused on their work. They're focused on sexually acting out or the affair. And you have to understand kind of how addiction works and how intensity-based affairs kind of work. When I am fully in, in that fire, it's all I can think about. It's all I want to get to. You know, yeah, I'm sitting with you over dinner, but I can't wait to talk to that person tonight. I am at work, but I got to start tapping out some texts back and forth and maybe a little bit of sexting. That sexual and romantic intensity that's going on outside the relationship profoundly affects the relationship. Because my needs, when I'm cheating, when I'm acting out sexually, it's absolutely true that my needs, my wants, and my desires are going to come before the relationship, obviously. If I'm cheating and, and out there hurting my family, then clearly my needs and wants are coming first in my mind. But they also tend to come first in the minds of someone when they're just at home. Like, I'll get to dinner later. I've got stuff to do. Or I don't have to help with that. Let her or him do that. Or the kids can figure that out on their own. Or, you know, we do as active addicts, and certainly with people who are cheating, we do a lot of pushing away of our responsibilities in our families and in our current relationships or work. And unfortunately, that has a cost to us and the people who we're doing it to. They don't always know what's going on, but they do feel our distancing, our unavailability, our lack of focus. And they respond to that with questions and sometimes anger and confusion and nagging. And, and we just try to confuse them further. That's the job of the cheater or the addict is to confuse your spouse further so that you don't find out what we've been doing. Because the most important thing to that person who's cheating or the sex addict is the cheating and the sex, not you, not the family, all of that. Now, here's a good question, by the way. People often, we talk a lot about narcissism and people say to me, well, does that mean my 
a partner is a narcissist. I mean, you're telling me that when he or she cheated, when they did this, they put me completely out of mind and they didn't care about me at all or the consequences. And they just went and did this and they justified it to themselves. And now how do I know that they don't lie about everything? How do I know that they're not a sociopath and all of that? And certainly a narcissist. So let me say a little bit about addiction in general. Listen, anybody who is actively acting out an addiction or an intensity-based process from a spouse, like a, like an affair, we are not thinking clearly. We are not making good decisions for you and the family, and we're not trustworthy. You don't see us in a process of healing or growth. You see us in a process of withdrawing from you and kind of living this double life. And as you probably know, compartmentalization is a big part of addiction and cheating. Because what it means is I have this little life over there that nobody else knows about or I don't tell anybody about. And, you know, I keep that kind of spinning and it's my little go-to whenever I'm not feeling good or whenever I want something for me and feeling entitled, I run to that. That's, by the way, anti-vulnerability, anti-vulnerability. Because running toward intensity when you want intimacy, running toward a distraction when what you really want is to be held, that's anti-vulnerability. And let me tell you the truth, everyone who's out there cheating, everybody who's out there as an addict, everybody who's out there, including those of you who are listening, we all want the same thing. Ultimately, we want to be loved. We want to be a part of, we want to go home. I love that phrase. I, in fact, I love that word. H-O-M-E has always been one of my favorite words in the language. I've been thinking lately, and I'm going to give this to you guys, something about abuse, trauma, and cheating, and addiction, which is that, you know, the person who grew up in a fairly chaotic, traumatic childhood or experience. And, you know, there was neglect, there was abuse, there were problems. That person, they don't necessarily know that. They're kind of more acting out the problems from their past. And meaning that a lot of us, while we all want to go home, we all want to be loved and appreciated and have this place that is a foundation of love and connection, that's just being human. People who have trauma or abuse in their backgrounds, we kind of run from love, you know? like the addict who just can't wait to get away from the people they love so they can go drink by themselves, or the addict who's just looking for that sexual hookup in a massage parlor, but they leave their whole family to go do it. What is that about? You know. And I've been thinking a lot about this, and I, I guess I want to give you it up from a personal perspective, and maybe this will help a little bit. As some of you know, and I talk about this, I had a lot of trauma in childhood. I had a mentally ill mom who was in and out of hospitals probably 18 or 20 times in my childhood, so it was very inconsistent and very problematic. And I can tell you that I, I couldn't wait my whole life to get away from home. I wanted to get away from, get away from my parents. I left, school, I left high school a year early to get to college a year early. I did not want to be home. When I was growing up, home was not a good place. So you have to understand, if you grew up in a place with pr profound neglect, abuse, abandonment, alcoholism, mental illness, you know, you probably would rather be in your room than with those crazy people. And I got to tell you, for all most of my life, and here's a, a clue to it, I was a holiday hater. I hated Christmas and I hated, you know, from Thanksgiving, actually from Halloween on, I was depressed. I wondered about that all my life as I watched people having great times over the holidays. And I realized more recently that being home for the holidays for me was not a whole lot of fun. I had to face these crazy people and I had to live with these crazy... School was a lot safer. Being with my friends was a lot more fun. And so I can imagine that over the years, I developed this feeling like, oh, I don't want to be home for the holidays. This is an awful thing. I think I've been running away from home for years when all we all really want to do is go home. And that concept I've been thinking about, that throughout life, when we find a partner, when we find a relationship, if we build a family, that essentially we have gone from the home we were born into, into creating a whole new home that is moving forward. But what if your home was horrible growing up? 
It might mean that as close as you get to your partner and the home you've created, you also might want to run away from it at the same time, especially when things get too close or too overwhelming or too intimate or they remind you of the trauma of the past. So I'm not, by the way, giving a pass to those who cheat or those who are addicted. I think everyone has adult responsibility for their behavior. But I can give some understanding to why somebody who has a loving home with the family that they always say they wanted is running away to strangers when they could be home. Why are they having sex in motel rooms on apps when they could be home? Part of the answer may be, you know, I'm just a horny young guy and I like to get laid. But more often in the people that I've treated, it's that they really don't understand what home can be and what it might be. They only have this experience of, okay, I got to be here for dinner and then I can go out with my friends. It's like, it's like being in high school, you know, only we're not. We're adults who are in relationships and committed, but we can't wait till dinner is over to go do what we want to do. And by the way, this is very typical of addicts. We have a phrase for addiction which is, you know, addicts, they want what they want when they want it. And I think if you look back on someone who's more focused on racing away from the house to going out and having sex with a stranger, that's someone who's running away from the most important thing. You know, I often talk about cheaters and sex addicts in particular, and not everybody who cheats. Certainly there are other situations going on, but for most people, you know, it's kind of like they get closer and closer to their family and then they run into their own vulnerabilities. They run into their own fears. And instead of opening up and being real in their relationships, they run away to something that they can control. And that is really the thing for addicts and cheaters. You know, when you're in an affair, it's very controllable. When you're seeing prostitutes, you're going to sex workers, you're going to apps, or nobody's going to hurt you. Nobody's going to let you down. No one's going to abandon you. You have to understand as spouses that someone I'm having an affair with or sexually acting out with, they're never going to make me feel bad. you know. And um, by the way, it's interesting. I have to say this too, and I feel bad about saying it. But I've been working with a number of guys recently at the treatment center who are having affairs. And they say to me, you know, I don't know how to pick one over the other, one over the other. I don't think these guys are ever going to find a happy home until they learn to live with themselves. And sometimes they come to treatment, which woman, this woman, that woman, or which man, this guy, that guy. And of course, my answer is, how about learning to live with yourself first and learn to meet your own needs with other, with peers and support and not sex and affairs. And maybe if you can tolerate being with yourself for a while, then you might be able to graduate to a relationship. Let me finally stop with this because we're going to stop in a minute. I'm going to do a bunch of these lectures and sort of content stuff on the thinking of an addict and the thinking of a cheater. I'm also going to do some on the thinking of someone who's been cheated on and where they're coming from because I think that's a good perspective as well. But I want to talk about two more things before I stop. Number one is the confusion of intensity with intimacy because that is what addicts and cheaters do. We run away from the intimacy, the availability, the support that we might have, and we run toward the intensity, the excitement, the um, distraction. And that keeps us distracted from going back home and just showing up for whatever that thing is that we have difficulty tolerating. So we move toward intensity when we should be moving toward intimacy, even on a bad day, by the way, you know, if I have a fight with my boss, what I think a healthy person does is they call a friend, they go for a walk, they take the dog out, they go for a swim, they watch some bad movies. And what does an addict do? We have a fight with a boss and we go off and drink by ourselves. We go off and have sex with strangers. We, that isn't the healthy response. We are anti-vulnerable. We're anti-intimate because the healthy person, when they're struggling or when they're joyful, reaches toward people and the addict reaches away. And I think that's because we are looking for the intense distraction rather than the intimate comfort, which feels threatening based on how we grew up. 
And finally, I want to say one more thing about the mind of someone who's cheating or the sex addict, which is probably the most painful concept for spouses and partners of any gender. And that is the uh, concept of gaslighting. And gaslighting is a very simple thing. It simply means what someone says to you, I see this in front of me, and it looks like that. You say to them, no, you don't. That's not what it is. In other words, when my partner says, I thought you were going to be home at 6.30. Didn't you say 6.30 when you went out the door? And I say to him or her, oh, no, no, I never said that. I said I'd be home at 8.30, like now, except I'm really two hours late because I was cheating, and I really did say 6.30 in the morning in the morning when I told you when I was going to be home, but now I'm going to say 8.30 and you don't remember right because I want to get away with it. You say, I, you know, I never said I was going to go away for a weekend with work and all of a sudden I'm disappearing and I say to you, I told you about that weekend six times already. How can you not remember? Well, that's not really true, but I want to get away with my cheating. So when you as my partner begin to intuitively feel things that don't feel right and you ask me about them, I will lie to you in order to protect my affair or my sexual acting out. And that has a double effect. I mean, I just think, well, that, whew, she bought that. Great. Now I got away with it. But what happens to you as my spouse and partner is you begin to doubt yourself. And that's the real damage of lying to your partner and cheating on your partner in this way is you tell them that red is blue. You tell them that six o'clock is eight o'clock long enough and you'll make your partner a little bit crazy. Because if you live with someone who's lying to you and manipulating you all the time and you really love them and believe their lies, you can get kind of crazy too. And that is the pain that the spouses need support from in recovery. It's not codependency. It's the fact that you loved someone who's been lying and cheating and making your life crazy. And now you found out about all of it and you need support working through this drama that's been thrown at you, not working on yourself, but working on the crisis that you've been through. And that is really what the spouses need is a whole lot of support, understanding, and a place to vent their hurt and frustration about what they've been through. Because you guys haven't done anything wrong. You partners have done everything right. And doesn't that make it even worse for you? Anyway, I have a lot of love in my heart for you folks. I hope this information is useful. I'm going to keep uh, doing some solo podcasts so we can keep getting really good information out to you. This was one on the mind of a cheater. We're going to move on to talk about some other related stuff really soon. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.